0: A beautiful song about summer rain deserves a beautiful poem by Mary Oliver. Our second reading this morning is Mary Oliver's poem, This World. I would like to write a poem about the world that has in it nothing fancy, but this seems impossible. Whatever the subject, the morning sun glimmers it. The tulip feels the heat and flaps its petals open and becomes a star. The ants bore into the peony bud, and there is a dark pinprick well of sweetness. As for the stones on the beach, forget it. Each one could be set in gold. So I tried with my eyes shut, but of course the birds were singing, and the aspen trees were shaking the sweetest music out of their leaves, and what followed by, guess what, a momentous and beautiful silence as comes to all of us in little earfuls if we are not too hurried to hear it As for spiders, how the dew hangs on their webs, even if they say nothing or seem to say nothing. So fancy is the world, who knows, maybe they sing. So fancy is the world, who knows, maybe stars sing too, and the ants and the peonies and the warm stones, so happy to be where they are, on the beach instead of being locked up in gold. In her poem, Camus Lilies, Reverend Lynn Unger asks, and you, what of your rushed and useful life? Imagine setting it all down, papers, plans, appointments, everything, leaving only a note. Gone to the fields to be lovely. Be back when I'm through with blooming. When I am feeling overwhelmed by work, a nice day is a cruel, cruel thing. (laughs) A nice day, a day much like the ones that we have been having this week, beckons me away from the endless list of tasks that I have. It says, come outside, stop working, enjoy yourself, be idle. Sometimes I heed its call, but too often I don't. Some of my fondest memories as a child are of the two weeks each summer my great-aunt Ruth would visit my family's Montana ranch. My great-aunt Ruth was a school teacher in Umatilla, Oregon, on the Columbia River Gorge. As a schoolteacher, she had summers free and would make that trip by train, if I remember right, to see us in July or August. And what I remember most fondly about my aunt Ruth Is that she had lots of time to spend with us kids. She had time for us when our own parents were busy with summer ranch work. Now, my Aunt Ruth was not a small woman, ample, some might say, but she lacked no, she had no lack of energy for excursions with small children. She would take me and my little brothers on nature walks around the ranch. We were always a bit mystified as to why a walk on our own property would be a nature walk. But Aunt Ruth made these walks educational. I learned to identify dozens of plants and birds from her. She taught us the different names for the trees that we just thought were all pine trees. She showed us places to hunt for quartz crystals and fool's gold. Because she had grown up on the very land we were growing up on, she shared her childhood with us as we adventured together. A remarkable thing about my Aunt Ruth was her pace. She simply did not hurry. <laughs> and this was good for walking with small children. We never had to run to keep up, and she could take all the breaks that she needed to show us things. It was my Aunt Ruth's love of idleness that made her visits special. We kids weren't in school, and neither was she. Summer was a time to rejuvenate. It was a time for rest and play. I'm sure that she helped out with chores during the weeks that she was with us, but this work was only the price to be paid for days filled with long walks, novels read, and conversations. She did not rush. We, in turn, learned to go at a slower pace ourselves. We learned to love summer more. Whether we are working or retired or someplace in between the two, each of us will wrestle with life's busyness idleness balance. Each of us will have times in our lives when we feel completely overwhelmed with our responsibilities. And each of us will have times in our lives when idleness threatens to turn to depression. Most of us will work long and hard most of our lives. Most of us will give up vacations, holidays, and weekends to attend to work or family. Most of us will have bosses who seem to want more and more and more. And most of us will develop an inner voice that chides us for not working more. Most of us will have an inner critic that scolds us for being idle, (coughs) even when idleness may be the thing that we actually need the most. Concord and the towns around it Did not prosper through sloth. (laughs) First Parish in Concord has not grown to be the largest Unitarian Universalist church in our region by accident. Some might call us a type A church in a type A town. (laughs) I'd love to make that less accurate. but the personal drive for perfection, I suspect we feel, did not come out of nowhere. My guess is that it is related to our collective work ethic, which stretches clear back to our Puritan ancestors. My guess is that rest and leisure and play fly in the face of production and perfection and acquisition. My guess is... That We all have some spiritual work to do in this regard. One motto I was raised with was, idle hands are the devil's tool. Anybody here this morning hear that or something like it as you were growing up? Idle hands are the devil's tool. In its most straightforward reading, this phrase is meant to keep us from getting into mischief. But dig down into it a little bit more, and there's some interesting stuff. It implies that if we are not working, we will be getting into trouble. If we are not producing, we will be lured into loafing and lethargy, drinking and carousing. (laughs) If our hands are not working, the devil will tempt us into a life of irresponsibility and sloth. you do not likely believe in the devil any more than I do. This sentiment's hold on our culture is undeniable. It sets up a theological dualism that says work is good and idleness is bad. It says God approves of us only when we are being productive and not when we are lazy and goofing off. This, I assure you, though, has not always been the case. And religion, at one time, was the loudest voice favoring idleness and rest, at least one day a week. Prior to Moses and the Ten Commandments, the world had never heard of a God who would insist on rest. It just didn't exist. This God of Abraham and Sarah commands all people to rest, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. And not just humans must be idle on the seventh day of the week. Ancient Jews understood the commandment to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy to mean that all labor would cease for at least 24 hours. People would not work, nor would their servants or hired hands, nor would their animals. And this was as radical in the days of Moses as it is radical in 2016. For then, as now, those at the top of the economic food chain had time to take an unproductive weekend or a long vacation, but those working beneath them enjoyed no such break. To have God decree rest as a commandment meant that God valued idleness, too. So how did we get From an obligatory Sabbath to idleness being evil? How did we get from summer leisure to working all the damn time? How did we find ourselves in a place where a beautiful day cannot lure us away from our computers? When did idleness have to be filled with something, filled with anything? When did the television have to be constantly on? or our smartphones constantly in hand? When was the last time we just did nothing and didn't feel guilty about it? And oh, how, how might we regain some of this idleness, for I think that we are greatly in need of it. I would urge you, to goof off more. Just goof off more. I can urge you to goof off more without the slightest fear that you will become lazy or irresponsible. (laughs) I can urge you to goof off more without the slightest fear that you will neglect your work or your family or yourself. I know you. (laughs) Because I know me, too. We aren't the kind of people to let idleness ruin us. Rather, we are just the kind of people for whom more idleness might give us better health. One of the prerogatives of a minister is to gently exhort his or her congregation in a direction of greater health, for it is the main role of religion to rebind us to what matters It is the main role of religion to remind us how we fit into the greater scheme of things. So I urge you to goof off more. (laughs) Try putting things off if the weather is nice. Try taking less on to begin with. Slow your pace. Get some things off your plate. See if you can just be And enjoy. See if you can keep at bay the guilt of not being productive. Each summer, one of my great Aunt Ruth's favorite things to do on the ranch was pick raspberries. And everyone knows who has ever picked raspberries, especially in an overgrown thicket of them, that one cannot pick raspberries quickly. The thorns are fierce, the berries ripen one at a time, and will only come off their little cones when they are ready. A raspberry patch usually has ants in it, or bees, or both. The canes grow every which way. Good long sleeve shirt, good shoes, and a sturdy hat are advised. And there would be my Aunt Ruth, out in the patch picking raspberries for what seemed like the longest time. When we kids would help her, we would discover just what was taking so long. You see, my Aunt Ruth would put two strawberries in her mouth, two raspberries in her mouth for every one that went in the bucket. (laughs) practice that we kids quickly adopted (laughs) aunt ruth was picking raspberries for the pleasure of them this was not work it was recreation likewise when she eventually came in with a bucket filled she did not plan to turn those beautiful raspberries into jam oh no they were to be eaten with sweet cream at the very next meal My grandmother would look disapprovingly as my family ate a bucket worth of raspberries, (laughs) suggesting that some might be put aside for later. But we all understood that the raspberries would never be any better than they were that day. By enjoying them now, we honored my Aunt Ruth's idle hours in the raspberry patch. We agreed with her that some things are not to be quantified and not to be commodified. Raspberries were a gift, and we received them graciously. And you, what of your rushed and useful life. Imagine setting it all down. Papers, plans, appointments, everything, leaving only a note, gone to the fields to be lovely, be back when I'm through with blooming. I hope each of you will leave just such a note this week. I wish for you idleness and pleasure this coming summer. For Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed as beautifully as a summer day. So be it. Amen.